Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Talu. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you to Matt, Matt, for the introduction between us. Um, Rob and I have been having some really great offline conversations, so I'm really excited um, for this episode. Um, so Rob, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you very much for Matt um, for doing this as well. He said we'd be we'd be connected through basketball and some other means. So we've had some good offline conversations. Mm. Um, well, my name is Robert Collier. I am a coach to early stage entrepreneurs and managers to help them make more money per minute. And um, right now, what I do is I lead a powerful ninety day online bootcamp that helps professionals increase their earnings systematically and do so while enjoying a more fulfilling personal life and career. Mm. And so I have a unique methodology that emphasizes mindfulness practices as well as enhancing productivity. And um, outside of that, I uh, just got married as we talked Congratulations. about. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Just got married a few weeks ago in Playa del Carmen, um, Mexico, wow. which was awesome and um, an avid basketball enthusiast. That's right. And you played basketball too, right? Yeah, I played, I played in college for okay. a little bit for a semester and then also played throughout high school and middle school. Okay, cool. That's cool. And how did you, how did you get into the business that you currently do? I got into it reluctantly, actually. Um, really? So I did. Yeah, because I had this picture in my head of I'm not going to be a coach until I'm successful. Right. right. And I didn't feel like I had the success to, to be a coach. Mm. And so what happened was... Um, this woman reached out to me, right? So I had, at this time, I had quit my job. Um, I didn't know exactly what it was that I was gonna do, but I knew that I didn't wanna work a, a nine to five job anymore, right? at least at that time. Um, I've since, you know, I'm, I'm calm around that, but I decided to quit my job, didn't know exactly what I was gonna do. And fast forward to nine months and I found myself in debt, like to the tune of almost $30,000. Um, I wiped away all of my 401k um, and I really didn't know what was exactly what I was going to do. And so I had a woman who reached out to me and she was just like, Rob, I want your discipline. Can you teach me your discipline? And that was like a phrase that I had heard from so many people before. Okay. But again, I, I was reluctant to do that because I was like, man, I I don't want to be a coach. I'm not, I'm not successful yet, but mm. at the time I needed money. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it, <laughs> you know? And so what happened was I started thinking about like, how do I teach someone discipline? Like, how do I teach this thing that I've mm. exercised and learned over time by myself and I actually structured a, like the beginnings of like a, a program of sorts. And so I started taking her through this really slowly, methodically. And within the first two weeks she told me that she had a biggest week in business ever wow and after that within a couple of months she was telling me she felt more calm more relaxed than she ever felt but also more focused mm. and by the end of it i mean she was just so thankful she ended up like taking me to this beyonce and jay-z concert <laughs> she had bought like backstage passes for us to go and meet wow. them I had to leave early, unfortunately, because I was also, um, you know, working with the coach at the time and I was going to sleep really early, mm. but, um, Marie, she was my first client. And mm. as a result of that, like other people started hearing about me, my next client, um, his name is Julian. He reached out to me, had heard about the work that I did and long story short, within four months, he went from zero to 20 K per month in a brand new business. 
and was following the exact same steps that I shared with Marie. Mm. So started to think, okay, I might be on to something. Okay, this works. Yeah. I yeah, I might be on to yeah. something. And I'm enjoying <laughs> it too, right? Like I'm enjoying yeah. seeing their their growth. Mm. And so I just kind of continued on from there and I began working with executive clients. And I had an executive client named Charlotte, and she ended up overcoming a an obstacle that she'd been facing for three decades. Mm. And that she didn't, she knew, she she maybe she didn't know, but she wanted to start a business. But her mom had previously told her that entrepreneurs are broke and they're bad. And it came from her relationship with her parents. Her dad was an okay. entrepreneur. Mm. And her mom and her dad struggled for years. And she, she unknowingly embedded this in her daughter. And so we, we got around that. Um, she ended up starting her own business. And once again, you know, she's, she's like singing from the rooftop. She got to work with Rob. She's posting on LinkedIn. Yeah. She's posting on Instagram. And so it went there and there from from there and um, to the point that now it's my full-time gig. Um, I love it. I love working with entrepreneurs. Um, mm. And yeah, so I guess the the story is, is history, as I say. That's amazing. And I think for me, really inspirational as well, because I've been trying to think about, you know, starting to post more on LinkedIn and things like that. And that thing of like, I don't have the success. Like, what am I going to post about? What am I going to tell people? What am I going to teach people? I think it's that thing of people will notice things about you that they like, that they admire, and you can just lean into those things. Um, you mentioned that she, she saw that you had discipline. What were some of the ways that that was showing up in your everyday life that she was able to notice? So I think I was... So one, I had a business called Entrepreneur's Dinner at the time. Okay. And it was this curated invite-only event that brought together entrepreneurs from across North America to grow their business together through relationships. And so we hosted events at like beautiful private residences. We had private chefs serving these delicious four-course meals, bartenders serving your favorite mixed drinks, and videographers that capture the entire experience. And I mentioned that because I believe she saw the consistency of me putting these events on. And then ultimately she ended up coming in person. And I imagine, because this is true for the clients that I work with, when you start to do something and it becomes part of you, somehow that gets communicated non-verbally to other people, hmm. right? Like I, I talk about as your being, like when you're around someone who's just driven and hungry hmm. and, and they have good character, like there's just something kind of different about them, the way they move and you know, you just, you may not know it, but you're just kind of like, oh, there's something there. Person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think not to, you know, like give myself props or anything like that, but uh, I think maybe there might've been some of that. Mm. And so that's one piece of it. I think the other piece was I was doing the, the sort of building in public as they talk about on Twitter. I was doing that at the time as okay. well. And so I was talking about these habits that I had, like I was waking up at 5.45 a.m. Um, each morning and I was wow. getting this grueling workout in and I would just kind of share like some of the stuff I was learning in an attempt to share and hopefully give value to other people. So I think with the post of me waking up and drinking water and mm. fasting every Sunday um, at that time, I think I, I've been fasting like every Sunday since 2011. Um, wow. So between that, I was going on these and I continue to do these 10 day silent meditation retreats. I think she saw those things and she was like that like i want mm. that in my life <laughs> yeah wow so you still fast every sunday is that is that what you said yeah i do i do i still fast every sunday wow. now it's 
it, it varies. Sometimes it's all Sunday up until Monday at lunch when I have my first meal. And sometimes it's until Sunday evening when I break my fast. But yeah, I still do. And what do you find that's helped you with? Sundays have been the most productive day for me of the week by far. Okay. I, I get done in Sunday what it often could take me one to three days to do. Wow. So one, just from a productivity standpoint, yeah, hands down, it's, it's one of the best things. Why do you think it's the fasting that does that for you on the Sunday? Uh, many reasons. One is when you're fasted, your blood is not going to your stomach to break down and digest food. It's mm. staying up here. And so you have more blood mm. flow, et cetera, oxygen for your brain to work with. So that's one. Um, two, you're not messing with your blood sugar levels because when you mm. eat, particularly when you eat certain foods, it moves your blood sugar levels up and down. And so that that messes with your focus and, and all sorts of things like that. Mm. Three, I'm, I'm less distracted. That also is related to the blood sugar, but that ability to focus helps. And then four, it's something that I, something that helps me spiritually in a way that I can't quite speak to. And knowing that I'm doing something that I, I want to, that I feel like is right for me. And I felt like it's beneficial for me. That virtuous cycle, that virtuous loop also is in a way like a self-fulfilling act. It's like, a, it's like an act of self-love. And so I think that self-love then cascades or, you know, continues to go in a circle to support me even more in the things that I'm doing. Wow. That's amazing. Especially because Sundays is like family day, you know, as well. So how do you manage that with seeing family and different things like that? Yeah, um, I don't, I, I do still see family quite a bit. Um, but so one, I mean, I'm, I'm recently married, so I don't have children. So mm -hmm. maybe that affects things. Honestly, I'm pretty sure I'm still gonna end up yeah. doing this even when I have family, but we'll see. Um, but the way I manage it is I do church. Um, and then before I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would do some work and then I would go see my family after. Now it's church go to see family, hang out with my dad, my mom, et cetera, for a bit. And then I'll come back and do some work. So how do I manage it? It's just routine. At this point, it's just, mm. it's just what I do. It's just what you do. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I think I'm going to take a challenge to do it maybe once and see how it goes and then see, see what happens after that. Because I think there is definitely something about delayed gratification, denying yourself, you know, having that self-control even when you want to do something to not do it. So I think there's definitely a lot that, that comes from that. Yeah, I agree. And I would encourage you to try more than once. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those, <laughs> it's one of those things, man. Like if you have a, as you know, if you have a strong why for anything, yeah. but, but in particular this, if you have a, a strong why, if you can tie it to something that enables you to, to do it long enough. And I don't, recall what my why was initially whether it was spiritual really? productivity reasons i don't okay. i um i want to relate it back to gandhi but i'm not okay. certain it was gandhi uh, gandhi okay. has a day of the week had a day of the week that he would not talk which is something i still want to do i believe it was mondays mm -hmm. he would not speak and obviously he was known for fasting and in particular mm -hmm. like 
sort of hunger strikes as they call them now, but he would fast as a means of responding to oppression. So mm -hmm. there might have been some influence from Gandhi. It might have been for productivity reasons, but my why was strong enough to continue with it. And it's one of it's one of the better habits that I've developed for sure. And you mentioned about um, like the silent retreats and things like that. So what does that do for you? Man, it's everything. Really? Yeah, yeah it really is. So, so what I'm referring to with these silent meditation retreats for context is um, they're 10 day silent meditation retreats. It's 10 days of no talking, no cell phones, no communication with other people, no reading books. It's just meditation. It's sleep, wow. eat, meditate, yeah. repeat. That's it. And you're meditating for roughly 10 hours in a day. And the first time I did it in 2011, it was one of the most physically and mentally exhausting things I've ever done. Yeah. And it was the most rewarding 10 days of my life. Wow. And so now what happens is I'll attend these 10 day meditation retreats and I see the happiest, most joyous people I still have ever seen. Hmm. Maybe at a wedding, you get mm. that mm. some semblance of that, but just smiles, just gratitude. And so what it does for me now is it reminds me and gives me the ability a grounded practice to focus on the more important things, the things that actually matter, mm. this business stuff and making money and all these sort of things, they're important. And they help to accelerate other goals. But for me, the most important stuff is that that groundedness, that awareness and evolution in something that's way bigger than my life. Mm. Mm. So it gives me that reminder and that practice for it. And it also spills onto other things as well. It gives me the ability to be present when I'm having a conversation with someone mm. like you. It gives me the ability regardless of all the external factors and external noise, it gives me the ability to be here hmm. and to maintain a sense of peace and gratitude and also urgency and importance in this very moment, just knowing that life is so precious and can be taken away from any of us in a moment. So all of those lessons is what it helps me with. And for me, I always say like, I love my mom. Like people who know me, Talu, like they know, like me and my mom are, are like this. Mm. And that's that's my ace. That's what I call her, my ace. And I love my mom, but I recommend this more than my mom. Wow. So that lets you know how much I, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm really intrigued as to what it is about silence that brings that gratitude and those things out because I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily connect that with silence I'm not sure that I know a great answer for you because I thought of this a lot myself but what I found is for me personally I found that silence is my home hmm. silence is definitely the place where I feel most at home hmm. couldn't tell you why but I have come to that realization now with that what I have found is if you look at spiritual leaders and, you know, religious leaders, mm. most of them have evolved or gained that enlightenment, as many people call it, in silence. Yeah. Whether it was 
the Buddha, right, meditating under a tree, whether it was Jesus Christ going into the wilderness. Into the mountains, yeah, yeah. And into the mountains, that's right. Uh, Moses going up to the mountains. Like, it's all mm. related to the silence. Mm. It's consistent. Mm. So I'm not sure why that is, but I believe there's something in silence for all of us. I think, because for me, I, I don't think I've ever spent 10 hours by myself in silence with nothing, no book, no phone, no nothing, just silence with myself. I don't even know what, what, what do you think about in that time? Like what's going on in, on the inside? Man, it depends on what you're into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like for me initially, uh, the first few hours, it was Drake. It was like, Drake. <laughs> bro, Drake songs on repeat, just like, with uh like any drake song you think of it was just he's just there it's just so yeah. catchy you know and then it was um it was arguments like stuff that i should have said or right. you know hurts that i've had it's kind of replaying that even sometimes thinking about the thing that i could have or should have said then what you find is over time that noise just kind of dampens it just gets more and more silent not all at once but maybe before the Drake song or the argument that you had or whatever music that you're into or whatever thoughts that you may have, like they're just doing this over time, they start to kind of mm, space out. Yeah. There's a little bit of space in between and mm. it's really cool when you get to a place where it's just like, mm. and that, that period of space in between, it's a really cool experience. And I'd argue it's where you find yourself the most because we have so many external influences and factors, things that we mm. think are us, our identity, our behavior, but it's mm. really all these external influences and factors. And when we can separate ourselves from those things, we get to find out who we are uniquely away from those things. It's a really powerful place. So what are some of the things that you feel like you found out about yourself from that place that you may not have known before? If you don't mind sharing, of course. No, of course not. Um, so I'll, I'll give you some examples. The first time I went, I was recently dealing with a breakup. Um, I also was studying the LSAT to go to law school. And I'm sure there was other things going on. So, and I was sending outside to go to law school, but I also had this invitation from the CEO that previously informally advised me on a startup that I, I started while I was in college. And so he was wanting me to come out, but I was like doing the LSAT. And so I go into this thing and again, the 10 days, mm. 10 days of 10 hours of meditation, Drake's playing in the back. I got my, you know, I got my arguments and stuff. And then over time, and it's hard. And over time, it just kind of silences itself. Like certain aches are on the body. And they're telling you like these aches start happening in your mind. And so mm -hmm. you're sitting down and your, your knee is hurting so bad that you just want to get up. But as soon as you stop meditating, the, the pain like miraculously goes away. You're like, oh man, wow. this stuff really is my head. Continue, continue, continue. So by the end of it, I'm just ecstatic. I'm just so happy and I'm so full of joy. And one of the realizations I came to was 
I didn't want to go to law school. It was something that sounded good, but man, I really, I love startups. Like I love this entrepreneurship thing. I don't know what it is. Mm. I'm still trying it out, but I'm not going to go to law school. I'm going to go to this company that the CEO was talking about. I'm going to go work for him. So that was a major decision. Another thing was with uh, the woman that I broke up with at the time. The feelings and the emotions were still there, but I was able to arrive at a better understanding of why I had certain hurt. And I, I had broken up with her, but why I made those decisions? What is it about me that led to that decision? What is, and it was less about her, and it was more about me and the things that I saw. And another thing that was really insightful that, that I learned was this, this thing we call unconditional love, it's not really all that unconditional. There's always a condition and that condition is I, mm. I love my wife. I love my child. Mm. There's always I in the love that I have for someone else. Cause if it's not my kid, I'll love that kid. I don't love that wife. I don't know her like this. Yeah. I was still in all the love that I had. And so I realized my love was not unconditional. It was conditioned upon me being involved, me seeing myself, me being tied to that person. Hmm. So that was a really like eye opening learning and lesson that I got from that. And I've gotten plenty more, but hmm. those were three of the hmm. things that I learned as a result of even just that first meditation experience. That is so, so rich. That is so rich. And honestly, thank you so much for sharing because I think so many people are looking for that clarity. And it sounds like being able to tune out everything else really gave you that clarity in terms of what is it that I really feel is the right thing for me? Because that's a huge decision not to go to law school. Massive decision. Absolutely was. Absolutely was. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. So one of the one of the questions that I usually ask is about what does emotional intelligence mean to you? And I'm even more intrigued to hear what your answer is as someone who kind of is very self-aware. Like, what does it mean to you? So I would say the more standard answer is emotional talent, intelligence is the awareness of and management of one's emotions as well as those around them. I would say my answer for emotional intelligence is it's similar and it is an awareness and understanding of my emotions and where they stem from mm. the source and also being able to influence them to the emotion that I desire to experience. Hmm. And then the other part of that is the people around me. It's also an awareness and understanding of the emotions of those around me, being able to influence them and also being responsible for the, the experience and emotions I have as a result of what they're their emotions are and what they're experiencing. Hmm. And what I mean by that last part is 
for me, I have uh, I have something that uh, Elaine Aaron has has coined um, HSP, a highly sensitive person. Okay. And what that means is my nervous system is more attuned to the world around me and the world inside of me. So I'm more able to be aware of certain emotions that I have, but I'm also more aware of the emotions of other people. Like there's people that talk about walking into a room and they feel the emotions of other people. I'm literally that. Wow. I can quite literally walk into a room and it's not any magic that I'm doing. Um, I'm sure the meditation helps with it, but I can feel in my nervous system, just somewhere in my body, sensations, I can feel the emotions of other people. And so something that I've had to learn, particularly with my wife, is the emotions of other people is not something that I should take in. I'm responsible for my own emotions. Mm. And so that that balance, like that, that tension between those. That's tough. That's tough. Does that, because you know, um, in a really weird, not, not quite right way, it reminds me of, you know, what women want, not what women want, is it? You know, when the yep. guy can hear what women are thinking. Yep, and that's it. With, uh, it starts to, what's Mel, it, Gibson. Is it Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. And at first he's like, this is great because he's got this extra insight. But then after a while, it's like, this is a lot to, to take on. How does that feel? <laughs> it's a good, it's a great question. So It feels like a superpower mm. and it requires me at times to be more isolated. You asking that leads me to think that perhaps that's one of the reasons why I enjoy silence. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it feels, it feels great in having a skill of being able to relate to people more deeply and to more mm. deeply understand them and to help them in certain help them in certain areas while also helping myself. And I think, as I mentioned, the challenge is being able to separate those two and not take too much on. I I will say I, I believe I do a good job of that. And I certainly have opportunities for improvement, especially with my wife, that was a challenging period for a little bit where I didn't know exactly how to separate those things, those things like her, her mood and her um, emotions were impacting me at times. And so I'm, I'm learning still how to coexist and live with somebody and mm -hmm. not have those emotions to impact me on, in that way. Hmm. And, you know, you mentioned about um, kind of feeling those sensations and then being able to identify that. Are there any of those things that you're able to understand differently that you're able to teach to the people that you coach as well? So can you then tie that up? So, you know, I feel this, I'm seeing this, and maybe that's a cue for how someone feels. Is there something that you can teach other people about that? Or is it kind of, unless you feel that, you can't really tell? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's a way to deduce and reverse engineer that process. It's not something I do currently. Hmm. It's not necessarily something actually I have, I have taught about it in, um, in a talk I, I delivered at, um, at a, uh, a museum. So I did talk about it a little bit. So yes, mm -hmm. it is something that I could talk about. It's not something that I currently do. The thing, one of the things that I do right now with my coaching is I do offer 
individuals the opportunity to learn meditation and mindfulness practices. I find most people want to learn how to meditate and they want to develop mindfulness practices, but they haven't been consistent with it. They don't know how to do that. And my mm-hmm. coaching absolutely lends itself to that. That was uh, one of the people that recently went through my boot camp. That was one of his big takeaways from it. Like he, he ended up, um, he was in a brand new job and mm-hmm. he had all these goals that he wanted for himself. He accomplished the goals. He lost the weight. He, by the time, like the, the boot camp was over, he ended up basically feeling like his new role was automated. He had won three employee of the month awards, yeah. like in this new role. But he told me that his biggest takeaway was being able to meditate and how much it's continuing to impact his life. So in that way, mm. there is its own teaching because meditation in many ways teaches you those things, but it's not something that I've actively done. Um, maybe I should. Cause I, I think it, it's very interesting because you have this kind of additional sense of, okay, this is a strong emotion coming from this place. And when you can see that, you can see there's also physical manifestations of that. Like, did you ever watch that show Lie to Me where it talks about microaggressions and things like that? Says this show and this guy, he's like a psychologist almost, but he says that everybody's face gives them away on the most minute level. There's these microaggressions and then they show it up on the screen as well. Like when people are angry, here's a bunch of people angry and you can see the same expression through everything. And so I was just wondering about you know, that, like you said, it's a superpower to be able to know that bit extra. And is there some way of being able to then say, okay, this is what I feel this person is feeling. This is what they're communicating. This is how their body language looks for that. And trying to help people who don't have that to understand like, okay, these are some things, you know, that that can help you. Um, Because I feel like understanding other people's emotions, let alone our own, like understanding other people's emotions is very complicated. I'm, I'm confident that there's a way to do this. I know that similar, I hadn't heard of that show, but I know similarly, you'll look at, um, where are these? They're image scans, but I'm, I'm not recalling which type of image scans, but they're image scans of where in the body people are feeling certain emotions, like certain heat patterns. Yeah. 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 I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those. It's amazing. So people will fear, feel fear in, Mm. in this area and the sternum mm. constantly and anger in certain areas, et cetera. So there's certainly a way to teach individuals because there is a pattern there, mm. what they're feeling, how to recognize what they're feeling and then what to do with it. And I'm certain that you can also do this with other people, like something somewhat similar. It's a little bit of a tangent, but um, have you have you heard of mir- mirror neurons? No. So mirror neurons, it's really, it's really fascinating. Mirror neurons are these neurons in our brain that actually enable us to feel, know, and understand what the other person is feeling. Right. And so they really act as these fantastic BS, like BS meters, because Mm. when someone's lying to us, somehow in our own brain, we're able to kind of sense that. And it's, it's part of that is these mirror neurons that are mirroring the other person. And so in many ways, I'm sure that would be an aspect of like, how do you leverage your body, your brain, all that you come with in order to be able to manage your emotions, but also be able to manage or be aware of somebody else's. And is that something that you can proactively engage with or just something that happens on like a cellular level that you don't really have control over? I'm not sure what the science says about that. I haven't looked it up, 
but my fundamental belief is so much of what is within our body is within our control if we can mm. learn to develop that like yeah there's uh, there's a lot of aspects of our body our biology our chemistry our psychology um, that previously have been said that they were not under our control, which mm. science is now, you know, Found debunking and, and mm. saying that it is under control, our control. So with that trend, I'm more likely to believe that many of those things can be within our control if we have the knowledge and understanding of how to influence, mm. how to be aware of those things and how to wield them. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, a slightly random question I have for you actually is that, so the people that you kind of coach, are they mostly like solo, I think it's the terms like solo, solo entrepreneurs, I can't even pronounce it, but people who run their own businesses by themselves, or is it also people who lead teams and things like that? Yeah, it's both. It's both. Okay. I'd say on the entrepreneur side, it's primarily been solopreneurs. Mm. And then I also work with a lot of managers and by nature, they're, they're often leading teams. And it's been the full gamut on the entrepreneur side. Um, I've had, you know, I've had caterers, I've had FinTech founders, yeah. I've had, you know, the wedding, uh, wedding photographers, uh, another FinTech founder. Um, I've had guys who may still work for somebody, but they're more like an entrepreneurial role. And by that, yeah. I mean, like, um, like, like self-development. Kind exactly. Of, yeah. Like yeah, JP yeah. Morgan, et cetera. And then on the managerial side, yeah, it's, it's all sorts of managers. The, the reason I ask is because a lot of the stuff that we've talked about sounds like self-leadership because I think sometimes leadership, you think of leading others. And I think for me, leadership starts with leading yourself and then you lead others once you can kind of lead yourself quite well. So that's what I was trying to understand. Cause it sounds like a lot of your, like your skill set and your expertise and your experience is really in self leadership. And then I was wondering how do you translate that into the leadership of others? If you do have that kind of that spread of clients. Hmm. Um, that's really interesting that you said self leadership. I hadn't used or thought of that word before, but you're absolutely right. Now the second part of your question, um, you said, how do I translate that into the leadership of others? What do you mean by that? So I think there is, there's nuances between this is how I lead myself because I know what I need, right? So for example, we look at like Kobe Bryant, right? Kobe Bryant was a great self leader. He was so good at driving himself to excellence, but for a long time, he was a terrible leader of other people. But then at the end of his career, he really made this switch from taking some of the principles. Cause you remember when like Dwight was with him and he's like, Dwight's soft and this and that, like, for Kobe, that would have been like motivation, like what do you mean I'm soft? But for Dwight, that like crushed him, you know? So it doesn't always translate. So how do you take some of the things that you're teaching people about how to lead themselves and then use that for them, how to lead other people? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think about it like this. When we as individuals are in integrity, we're doing the things that we say that we want to do. Mm. We're accomplishing our goals. We feel better about ourselves. When we're doing all those things, somehow we begin to to do more than we expected, right? Like one of the the taglines, one of the things that I say, which is absolutely true, is I help leaders to accomplish more in ninety days than most people do in a year. 
And it's absolutely true because people I work with in that 90 day period, they do things that have been abating them for over a year. One of the mm -hmm. ladies I had just finished, she had been working on something for over a year. She got it done within the first 30 days. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a consistent thing. Now I say that because when individuals are arriving at that place, they have that integrity, they have that ownership, et cetera. As a result of that, they are then more confident, more true and able to more effectively lead other people. Right. Like, so one of the things I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation was like how someone's being somehow just influences other people around them. You can kind of just see like this person's walking the walk. They're not just talking the talk. Mm. Are you more apt to be led by someone who you can tell is fake in the funk and who is not like <laughs> actually doing what they say they're going to do or yeah. someone who's living the, what they're, what they're preaching? Like mm. they're, they're talking the talk, but they're walking mm. the walk. Like mm. by nature, you want to mm. work with this person. And mm. so I think inherently when you work on yourself, that self-leadership, as you've aptly described or named, um, by nature, you're more adept, but also you're more attractive as a leader. Yeah. People want to work with you yes. and follow you more. So I yes. think that may be the way that I help self-leaders become better leaders of men and women that's so good that's so good um what one of the things i was thinking about is our is our mutual friend jimmy butler um and how like for me so i i was at marquette when jimmy was at marquette and you were at the the junior college when he was out there right is that the, i was at ut right? tyler which was close to the junior college close like to junior, yeah across the street okay um, and one of the things that Marquette has is this Marquette toughness and this grit and this like, we will absolutely grind and grind and grind. We might not be that talented, but we will do the work. And I feel like there are certain teams that Jimmy has been on where that has really resonated, like Miami, and other teams where that really hasn't. And that's what I find interesting about what you were saying, because for me personally, as a competitor, when I see someone doing the work, you know, walking the walk, talking, doing all of it. I'm like, I want to go follow that. But there are also some people who see that and they're like, you know, I don't want to be part of that. I'm not going to name any names, but from Minnesota, you know, there are some people there who you can see that like, they, they weren't really about actually doing the work to get to where it is. And I find that's really interesting in terms of how it will really accelerate some people, but almost like destroy other people. And I think that's really interesting. I do too. I know much of that plays into culture mm. and what is the culture that's been established. And I've seen this mm. in the businesses that I've created, like it was entrepreneurs dinner. Our culture was give first. We made sure that when you walked in there, you had a give first nature and it reciprocated because people would give each other referrals. They find co-founders and partners, um, investments and deals. Like it was just this give first. That was a constant thing. It's like, man, these people are really nice. They just want to give. How did you um, find people like that? Like, how did you identify that this person would be a good or bad fit for that culture? Well, so two things. One is I embodied that first, mm. right? Like, so if I, if, if the leader of an organization, in that case, a founder of a community, if that person embodies it first, then more, it's more likely that everybody else is going to follow. And that's, mm -hmm. that's similar to what you were just talking about with like the Minnesota mm -hmm. Timberwolves, mm -hmm. um, and like their ownership and et cetera. Like they didn't have that at the top. Like they, yeah. they just didn't have that at the top. But you look at Miami heat with Pat Riley, Pat Riley. Yeah. 
it's a different culture. He's so that guy. Yeah. He's that guy. Like he lives that. He's so that part guy. of it is who is embodying it from the top mm. down. Mm. Like Warriors, we could talk basketball all day. Like the Warriors organization, like Joe Lacob and those yeah. those folks, like that's winning top down. Mm. But so that's one part of it is who embodies from the top down. And the other piece is um, then identifying people who fit that, people who mm. are going to fit to that mold. And I don't know that I articulated or dissected certain principles to be able to articulate that back to you. But again, maybe with those mirror neurons, et cetera, you just kind of know, mm. you just kind of know some people who are not going to be a fit. And there are absolutely were people like I had people, you know, one of the things I did in that business was I had about a 45 minute call with every single person who applied to attend mm. and I had people who like, they did not want to take the 45 minute call, mm. you know, multimillionaires, et cetera. And I don't want to take the call, but I'm willing to pay whatever it is to, to get there. Yeah. Okay. That's not no, right. Yeah. That's not, not right for your culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're just not going to come then. That's, that's fine. But you're, you're not going to be at my event. Like I'm, I'm hopeful that you find one that makes a fit. So that type of you know, right. process, et cetera, finding the right yeah. people that fit. Yeah, because you're giving quite a lot because for you to give up 45 minutes of your time to every single person, that is a lot of time commitment to make sure that and that's where like I really, really like what you said about it's a curated event like you've really like handpicked the people that should or shouldn't be there. And that's what you're talking about, like the giving from the top. That's you giving your time to make sure that it works. Yeah, exactly. And it starts with who is that person at the top? Are they talking to talk? Are they walking the walk? Like, mm. are they living mm. it out? Definitely. And we were just talking about basketball. Is there anything that you've learned about emotional intelligence or leadership through what you've been through in basketball? Oh, of course. Um, things that come to mind. Let me think for a moment. Um, just kind of the things that come to mind, like everybody, not everybody's the same. And you need mm. to coach and approach certain people differently. Mm. So using that Kobe Bryant example, you're going to have some who are hyper competitive, do anything at all costs. They just want to win Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, you know, Jimmy Butler, etc. But you have others that need to be approached in a different way. They can still give you a lot, mm. but you can't approach this person the same way that you would this person. And mm. so I learned through basketball, you have to KYP, know your personnel. Mm. know how you can motivate them, know what they need to hear to be motivated. Is it that they need to be talked about? Like, Hey, this person is saying, it sounds like this person is great. Like, I don't yeah. know if you're going to match up to them, you know, and then they're going to work, they're going to work their butt off to make sure that they can match up. Or it's more like, man, you are awesome. You just need to do these things. Like if mm. you do these things, I know you're going to be even better than you already are. Like you have to, and it's, you have to be honest. I'm, I'm not a person that's going to lie to anybody. No, it doesn't um, help anyone. No, it doesn't help anyone. And I, I don't feel good about myself lying to somebody. So I'm not going to say you're awesome if you're not awesome, mm. but if you are awesome, you just need that confidence, just being able to, to talk to that person the way that they are able to receive it. So that's one. Mm. Um, another is like, I definitely learned a little bit. This I learned more from watching, okay. I think, than I did from participating. But like, there's certain ways to manage your own psychology in such a way to, to really kind of work yourself up to do more. 
And I think Kobe, using him as an example, he was one of the masters of that. Like, mm-hmm. or, or Michael Jordan might be an even greater example for, for people who, who've seen The Last Dance, right? That documentary with Michael <laughs> Jordan last year. Like the, the big takeaway from that is I took that personal. From stuff that was nothing, you know, like he didn't say hi to me. Yeah. He would take things personally to amp himself up so that he could perform at his highest level. Mm. And I I saw that watching other people like Kobe, like Michael, et cetera. And so I've I have knowingly or unknowingly, I've adapted some of that in my own ways, like to be able to amp myself up for certain things. Like, Mm. you know, for me, like a big one is like people wasting my time. I hate it waste my time mm. i hate it and so if someone wastes my time like i just that i kind of use that to amp amp it up for yeah. myself so that's another thing and i'm sure there's i'm sure there's so many more i learned you know how to how to relate to certain people a lot more like my my formative like basketball was my identity for so long that when i stopped mm. playing basketball it's like what do i do now like, yeah. what do i do next so i mean there's all sorts of lessons i learned from basketball I think that is actually one of the hardest ones, especially when you compete and you compete to a decent level. That whole thing of when you stop, what next is really, really, really tough. Really, really tough. What was that like for you? Um, so I was playing like semi-pro in the UK. So kind of like one division below the top, which was still quite a lot of time commitment. You know, you got big, decent crowds in the UK. So like it's, it's a really cool lifestyle. And then it was quite like random. Like I was just starting to get more in the rotation, all that kind of stuff. And then I just felt like on the inside, like it's time to stop. And I was like, okay, okay why? I don't understand, but I just, you know, when you just know um, that it's time to stop. And it was just the weirdest feeling because I'm six foot six. So everyone here is like, do you play basketball? And then at a point I'm having to say no, you know, like it was such a big shift. Um, and maybe that's part of why I needed to stop as well is because my identity was so wrapped up in being a basketball player, playing at a good level. Um, and then I just had to learn to, you know, have a different life. And that was actually really, really good for me. Really, really good for me. Um, but it was tough. Very, very tough. I remember what that was like as well. That's a that's a tough period, particularly if you have that height, in particular in the UK. Like, yeah, I'd imagine, like, that's a it's probably one of the go-to things. Oh, you're so tall. Do you play, like... Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good journey, and I'm grateful that I went through it. Um, so so yeah, but it's just that thing of decoupling your identity, being someone different, and knowing how to transfer the skill sets and the the discipline and the things that you've built in that one arena, and then going out to go do it in something totally different. I think it's good for you to to get out of your comfort zone, try something new. Absolutely, I agree. Um, so just as we close, what is the best advice you've had on emotional intelligence or leadership? The first thing that came to mind is be more concerned with your character than you are with your reputation. Interesting. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is who people think you are. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I'm not entirely certain why that comes to mind with this question, but what has been true for me is being more concerned with 
my values, my practices, who I am on a day-to-day -day basis, that has formed more of my identity mm. and also my relation to other people and my relationship with myself than, than nearly any other thing that I can recall. Mm. And so I think being concerned for me, character is really important. So being concerned with my character, being less concerned about what other people think of me. If somebody heard something about me or whatever, I, I mean, I probably won't even correct it. Like if it's not spoken directly with me, like I just don't, that is less important to me than who I really am. And once again, when you are a certain way, people just kind of feel that from you. And I've, mm. I'll say this, character opens doors that credentials cannot. Mm. Your character opens doors that credentials cannot. Mm. And by focusing on my character and focusing on who I am and how I show up and the way I live my life, that has opened more doors for me. Yeah, I, I can agree more because I feel like you can have the credentials, but if people don't trust you, the credentials don't matter. But if you have the character where people are like, I know Rob, I know that anything he puts his, his mind to, his heart to, he's going to do to the best of his ability and he gets good results. The credentials, unless you're like a lawyer or a you know doctor, right? The credentials kind of, you can make up for that, even in just how you get people to help you. And the character is so important for that because when I think back even to basketball, like I wasn't actually that talented of a basketball player. Like when I looked at my teammates, they'd all been on better teams than me, come from better programs than me. They were more talented than I was. But that whole like thing about, I just want to be a good teammate. I just want to go out and compete. I feel like it kept me around a lot longer than I probably should have, to be honest. That's awesome. Rob, thank you so much for, for your time today and for your thoughts and for your vulnerability. Um, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a really great conversation. Likewise, thanks for the great questions. Thanks for the opportunity to connect and I'm looking forward to more, more basketball talk and uh, maybe some more talk about emotional intelligence too. Amen to that. And hopefully you make it over, over this way or I make it over that way in some of our travels and we can actually play some basketball. That would be awesome. Let's get mad ball too. Absolutely. And Matt, thanks for the intro. And we thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.